For July 12, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 106, for Chanik Discourse. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the left coast, that's right, the bleeding edge of America, I am your host, Matthew Rather, here with the panel to overthink so many things tonight. Uh, but first, uh, we all have failed. We all are, are abject failures in a particular respect as far as this summer's popular culture goes. We have yet to see the most successful film... Wait, is that true? Am I making that up? No, I don't think I make it. Well, maybe Twilight has it beat, though I doubt we've seen that either. Uh, we have not seen Toy Story 3. Uh, we have not seen it, none of us. So the question for the panel tonight is, why haven't you seen Toy Story 3? It's only the most successful movie in America. What is your excuse? Uh, first in the alphabet, from the lowest elevation uh, of anyone on the podcast, it is Peter Fenzel. Funny you should mention low elevation, Matt, <laughs> because the main reason that I didn't see the movie, at least this week, is because my home, my basement apartment, was virtually destroyed in the flood. <laughs> so I'm standing on a bare concrete floor right now, surrounded by some of my surviving personal effects, and sadly not on my computer. Uh, this, of course, superseded my, losing my, this superseded my losing my wallet which in turn superseded uh, a management shift at work, which is in itself an issue, which in turn superseded the severe illness of my younger sister, which caused me to travel for several weeks uh, in order to see her and help her and wish her well and help um, watch her recuperate and be with her in the hospital. Um, so unfortunately, given all of these factors, I haven't had a chance to go see Toy Story 3. Yeah, none of I know it's a high priority for everybody, and I know it's really important, but I'm sorry that I wasn't there. Yeah, uh, Pete, none of those really sounds like an excuse to me. Pete, it sounds like a, oh, really? this is the moment that you need CGI toys and a Randy Newman song to cheer you up. <laughs> True. Fair enough. I mean, I did also have home. time during that period. You've got it. <laughs> I <have time> during <laughs> you can see, I'm, I'm seeing the Randy Newman song for you right now. What more can you ask for? It'll be just like uh, much better when you see it in the, in the theater. Well, I've also had time during this period to lose two different improv competitions and not be able to perform in a festival because of all these interfering things. Uh, but I did do some pop culture consumption. I did watch five episodes of Firefly last night while doing my laundry until three thirty in the morning, um, and and that was uh, that was actually kind of good. I liked Firefly. Didn't the we flood? I mean, didn't the flood kind of do your laundry for you? Uh, yeah, it does it once, and then you have to do it again. Sort of like when a small <laughs> child gets to your taxes. <laughs> like, <laughs> <to> your taxes. <laughs> Like, with a crayon, but then you have to do them over, because it is not the way the Texas are supposed to be done. Okay, in, uh, in, all, in all seriousness, Pete, the, um, we hadn't mentioned it the day, the day that you weren't on the podcast, because I didn't know whether you wanted us to, and it, it, you, know, you could have preferred it be private, but at the last podcast, you mentioned your sister. Uh, we hope she's doing better. She's actually doing, she's doing much better. She's, she's, she's getting stronger. She's getting better. Uh, and um, I appreciate all the well wishes for her. Uh, you know, send her more well wishes. Send her good energy so that she can get back on her feet. And, and if you up. want, yeah, and if you want to say anything nice to Pete, uh, you know, Pete has, Pete, you've touched a lot of people. And you've also entertained people on the podcast as well. You can prove nothing. Yeah, you can prove nothing <laughs> in the court of law. You know, so <laughs> if, if you listen to this and you like, you like Pete Fenzel on the podcast or on overthinkingit.com, hey, send him a little note. You 
You know, it's Fenzel at F-E-N-Z-E-L at overthinkingit.com. Send Pete Fenzel a little note. And actually, I, I will pledge this. I'm, I am now, with, with this proclamation, I am establishing the, uh, the Pete Fenzel uh, Natural Disaster Relief Fund. <laughs> Uh, on overthinkingit.com. And if you make a, if you make a PayPal donation using the link that you'll find on, uh, overthinkingit.com, uh, on every page on the site, I, I swear to you that, uh, 100% of your donation will be passed along to Pete Fenzel. Just make a note. Wow. Uh, there's a place for a note on the donation form. Um, because Pete, you see, I, th- I think Pete lost, there was a flood in Boston, apparently. There was like three hours of flash flood or something. And so Pete lost like. Uh, yeah, yeah. DVDs and books. Yeah, it, and... Was, it was pretty bad. Yeah. What? Hey, so you know how, like, you know, for uh, relief efforts for the BP oil spill, there's always the image of the sad pelican covered in oil. Right. This, can we similarly have, like, Pete's copy of Paradise Lost, which is, like, completely sopped and uh, ruined <laughs> by moisture, and have sodden, that be sort of our iconic, yeah. iconic image of the relief fund? Sodden books. Yeah. Um, if you would like... I won't, I won't enthusiastically endorse this just because I don't want to take money that people really need in these hard times, but if I do get any money through this, I will use it for overthinking it related expenses such as a new computer and or new headphones. <laughs> so. so if you if you want to if you want to cheer Pete up, email him at Fenzel at overthinkingit.com. <laughs> and if you want to support the uh, the Pete Fenzel Natural Disaster Relief Fund, uh, just <laughs> m- use the PayPal form on overthinkingit.com. Just make a uh, just make a note on your gift that it is for Pete Fenzel, and I promise every dollar uh, contributed for Pete will reach it uh, directly to him. Because as I say, he's touched a lot of people, including himself. Mark Lee, next in the alphabet, why have you not seen <laughs> Toy Story 3? Because I hate our listeners and our readers, and I don't want to, uh, to give them the joy of under- knowing of the amazing analysis that I would have done by having seen Toy Story 3. That's not true. You know I love you, readers, Aww. listeners. No, the reason why I haven't seen Toy Story 3 is because no one loves me. Because I have a freaking girlfriend. Because last summer when I had a girlfriend, I saw a ton of movies. This summer I am without said significant other or any significant other. So Mark Lee doesn't see many movies. And when all Mark Lee's friends who have boyfriends and girlfriends or wives or husbands, whatever crap they're calling it these days, you know, go out of town or have other plans, they don't get. They don't have time to see movies with little old Mark Lee. So. That's my uh, lame excuse for not having consumed enough pop culture this summer. So, Mark, you, I, I know that you work, a, you work in municipal government, but, you work yep. in a, but you've also mentioned on the podcast that you work in a program that is federally funded. That's correct. Now, can you get some government scratch to, uh, to go see movies? Is there some sort of grant or program uh, for which you can apply that will fund your excursion to movies? Uh, beyond my salary, you mean? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Beyond, beyond, beyond the government programs. I could probably funnel some Hurricane Katrina relief money my way and make that happen. Yeah. Yeah, you I see. Get on that. You're right. I should get on that. You see a lot of, you see a lot of that in, in the tri state well, area. I mean, don't it's, you? Not, it's not so much about the money, right? It's about the seeing movies with people thing. And I don't, I'm not the kind of person who goes see movies by themselves for whatever reason. I mean, in theory, I'd be more than happy to do so. Uh, but just for whatever, whatever reason, I haven't gotten around to doing that this summer. Maybe I'm just uh, using the lack of uh, female companionship as a crutch. I am. Um, uh, I am that sort of person because I am a, a lonely and broken down shell of a man. 
All right. <laughs> All uh, kinds of joint cheer going on in this podcast today. Yeah, I know, right? The basement is flooded. Mark doesn't have a girlfriend. John is a, mad as a, a, what did you call yourself again? A lonely, <laughs> lonely and broken down shell of a man. Let's, see what, of a man. let's see what John Parrish is. So, not John is T Pain apparently. Yeah, apparently John is apparently John is Skype. Am I am I, I auto am I auto tuning? Oh you're, you're back. You're back now. Okay, good. So my reason for not having seen Toy Story 3 is sort of a protest boycott at uh, you know, Slinky Dog, the character of Slink Dog having been brought back, but not voiced by Jim Varney, who sadly passed away a few years ago. Instead being voiced by some, you know, no name voice actor who supposedly sounds very similar, but I ain't buying it. If it's not Jim Varney, I'm not interested in seeing the movie. Wow. What would you a- prefer? Do they think that they killed off the Slinky Dog character or something? Yeah, I mean, you know, some <laughs> some off some off camera accident or just quietly wrote him out of the series or you know, something something along those lines. Active protest. Indeed. Jim Varney, one of the one of the great comic character actors of you know, the I guess seventies, eighties, and not just in the not just in the Ernest role as well, for which he was most famous, the you know, Ernest goes to camp, Ernest saves the day, etc. Ernest, Ernest goes real to hell. T- um, exactly. Ernest goes to Guantanamo Ar- Bay. <laughs> I was I was thinking of actually watching Ernest goes to jail and Medea goes to jail back to back and huh. doing a piece on it. <laughs> <laughs> Like a comparison contrast. Do you think that would get that it would fly? I gotta get a TV or something. I saw a TV, but I had to get hook it up. Again. You know what, Pete? But, if you um, do, if you do that, and also uh, the HBO series Oz. Oh, I've watched Oz. Yeah. <laughs> so so Ernest goes <laughs> you know to I mean? jail. Ernest goes to jail. Medea goes to jail, and uh, Oz. Er- Ernest right, goes to jail enough. is an interesting one because uh, the, the conceit. Spoiler alert. The conceit behind it is that uh, Ernest is mistaken for this, you know, career criminal kingpin who looks just like him and is also played in the movie by Jim Varney and is played with a, a real surprising, like, gravitas and menace. Like, he's got his hair all slicked back and is really growly and drops weights on people's feet to intimidate them. Like, oh, holy crap, it's, it's Jim Varney. What the F is he doing? So, Isn't the other conceit in that movie that he gets, uh, uh, he gets there's a botched execution and he gains control over electricity? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty that profound happens. statement on, uh, on capital punishment in America, i got to say. Yeah. Mm. Um, yes, let's, uh, let's push on my turn. Why have I not seen Toy Story 3? Well... It's besides a, the fact that you're a broken down shell of a man. <laughs> besides the fact that I'm a yeah, broken down, lonely, hollowed out shell of a man. That's a, I'm quoting that from something, aren't I? I think it's from a song about Chris Your Kattan. Diary? No, yeah, from <laughs> from my diary that I write in in my own blood that I collect from <laughs> carving the word worthless into my inner thigh over and over and over and oh, over. Dear. Wow, this podcast got dark. Um, the, uh, I have not seen Toy Story 3 because I have not yet seen Toy Story 1 and 2. What? Yep. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> I barely, I barely deserve to call myself an overthinker. Uh, that's right. Uh, I have not seen Toy Story 1 and 2. In fact, I can count on one hand the, the, uh, the Pixar movies that I have seen. I just have never, I've never gotten to one. And so I, I pledge uh, that in some 
reasonable period of time, I will not only watch Toy Story 1 and 2 and 3, uh, but I will also watch every Disney movie, uh, animated movie, that has been released and write articles for overthinking it about them. That's right. On this podcast, I am announcing my uh, return as an active writer on overthinkingit.com for the Overthinking Disney series, beginning with Snow White, uh, all the Disney feature animations. I will be, in- including the ones that they really would rather forget about, like uh, uh, Song of the South or the Aristocats. Oh, yes, Aristocats. Absolutely. Uh, Aristocats. Absolutely. Or, or... Why do they want to forget the Aristocats? Oh, isn't there, a, isn't there offensive ethnic caricature in that? Isn't there a, uh, like a Siamese cat that's like... I Ooh. am Siamese, if you please. No, that's, well, no, that's I Lady... I Siamese. That's Lady in the... No, that's from... That's, That's Lady and the Tramp. But I'm oh, thinking, isn't there like some kind of me Chinese? Oh, Yasha, me Chinese cat that plays with uh, chopsticks <laughs> in the Aristocats. I think you're right. Yeah. But, well, I you mean, have to demonstrate that for us. Is that entirely necessary? <laughs> so, but, I mean, it's it, uh, very, very important uh, that I demonstrate. No, yeah. Didn't pretty much every Disney movie between, say, 1944 and 1967 roughly have some offensive. You know, African American stereotype of some some jive talking dog. What you what you talking about, Parrot? Some crazy. Well, the the crows in Dumbo. The crows in Dumbo were a great example of that, right? Yeah, the horizontal striped shirts and the cigars and the bowler hats and stuff. But they have. You mean like the jive talking robots in Transformers Two from two (laughs) thousand (laughs) and nine? Yeah, yeah, we've come a long way. Or every black character in a uh, Jerry Bruckheimer movie. So. Well, Damn. Hey, but Mac, going back to your announcement, that was a pretty big announcement. I think we should have actually done a completely separate podcast, specifically donated the, the, the focused on that announcement and have a, a three-hour pre-show prior to that announcement as well. <laughs> and that was really big news. I remember people were, uh, were really speculating as well what Rather was going to do and when Rather would return to writing for everything. When, yeah, exactly. And, and so I've, I've announced it. Um, so, you know, two weeks ago, we got a lot of heat for uh, presuming to talk about Apple uh, a lot. Now, I, I, I admit that it, I know as well as you know that the tech, uh, the tech news and the tech podcast space is totally saturated, and we are perhaps the least qualified to, uh, to do that. And so we were, we were kind of wading, we were kind of wading into a pool. Um, uh, we were kind of wading into a pool that everyone has already peed in and uh, trying to add our urine to the pool of, to the, you know, um, to the urine kind of uh, snaking its um, serpentine way. Uh, via Stay on this metaphor. It's great. It's so working for you. <laughs> via, via the complex laws of, of physics and fluid dynamics uh, into this pool. Um, but uh, it did not work out well for us. And uh, many, many of our listeners, um, I think we got one angry, unsip subscribe uh uh tweet on twitter so we are we are uh actually wading into much less controversial waters we're going to talk about uh sports uh specifically we're going to talk about lebron leaving cleveland and going to (laughs) going to miami uh, that's right. Pat Riley apparently made him an offer that he couldn't refuse and lebron will be playing next year for the miami heat right so the the big just news is really incredibly important and troublesome and like har- harrowing, given all of the not more important things than this news that have been happening to me lately. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, LeBron, where's LeBron going to go?" Oh man. Um, so the but yeah, the, I mean, so Miami. So he's playing with Dwayne Wade. Is that the deal? 
He's playing with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, two two other superstars who Miami signed and who now make the Miami Heat probably the favorites in the Eastern Conference of the NBA. And also probably, I mean, given how the league shakes out, also, also favorites to win. The ironic thing is that, I mean, the contract hasn't been drawn up yet that I know, but Miami is probably paying LeBron a little bit less than Cleveland could have afforded to pay him if Cleveland, you know, really scraped their pennies together and, and made him a, a generous enough offer because because LeBron really is because LeBron James really was the biggest player on Cleveland and they could have paid what he was asking as free agency. I, I mean, I don't know the full financials involved. I think I really wanted to uh, get out of Cleveland and get to a better team. Why would anybody want to leave Cleveland? For our international listeners, Cleveland, Ohio is kind of an economically distressed city. Not as bad as Detroit or New Orleans, perhaps, but it is sort of on. It, it's in a bit of an economic depression. You know, we've talked about, actually, this is actually the overthinking and angle take on this, right? We've talked right. before about, I think, Fenzel, you, you mentioned that there's a reason why uh, Drew Carey is from Cleveland, right? It's nondescript. It kind of exists outside of the typical hegemonic discourse of American culture. Um, and, and Cleveland is kind of down and on its luck, right? And that's why Drew Carey can come from Cleveland. Uh, it also brings to mind the new Betty White comedy, uh, what is it, Hot in Cleveland? Right? Which is another perfect example of like Cleveland being a, a down on its luck kind of place. Where uh, these women who uh, are, are, I guess, attractive and not particularly outstandingly attractive in their coastal uh, environs come to Cleveland because they are hot in Cleveland because they're apparently big fish in a small pond in Cleveland. Cleveland is not catching breaks these days. I wonder how whether this is based on the reality of Cleveland or how much of this is directly the work of the major league films in painting this idea of Cleveland <laughs> as like a town of perennial losers, which is really funny because by the time they were making Major League Three, Cleveland was one of the best teams in, the, in Major League Baseball. They had like Kenny Lofton and all that stuff. Uh, from the Braves, right? So, um, but yeah, I remember them being always the Cleveland Indians. Oh, they're the worst. Yeah, they're so terrible. I mean, there's, there's an instance of the power of art for you. Like Tom Berenger and Charlie Sheen painted a big stigmatic face. Stigmatic is not the word I want there because that implies that they're like Jesus. But a uh, big stigma well, on that. Scene. In a way. In a way, they are. Like <laughs> yeah, Charlie, yeah. Charlie Sheen dies for his sins. By die for. By die, I mean does cocaine for his sins. But sorry, continue. Yeah. Well, and I'm just saying that, like, I wonder whether Cleveland is really so bad, because it's not as bad as, say, like, Cincinnati, I, I suppose, in terms of, like, economically depressed and, and challenged cities, right? So it's, I, I wonder whether it's just people think it's lame because of its place in the culture. Um, you know I what do I mean? Know, I don't know. Totally. A co-worker of mine that had a, did a trip to Cleveland recently and went to Cleveland Indians baseball game and said there were, like, 15,000 people in the stands. And, uh, and they noticed that, you know, he was a New York fan. And one of the Cleveland fans said, thanks so much for coming here and, you know, helping our economy. <laughs> like, like, oh, for coming here and spending money. So there, I think there is some actual truth to the down and out uh, nature of Cleveland as it's portrayed these days. For, for the record, the Cleveland Indians are currently 34 and 54, which puts them at the bottle of, which puts them at the bottom of the central division of the American League. Uh, not the worst team in the American League, uh, an honor reserved for my hometown uh, heroes, the Baltimore Orioles, but uh, still with a still with a three eighty six winning percentage and fifteen and a half games out of first. So, uh, good luck, good luck, Indian Chiefs. 
Hey, isn't the is the... like seventy games left? So they can totally make that up. Oh yeah, I mean, really, really, none of this matters before the All Star break, as we know. But you know, um, isn't isn't the high school in Glee set in Ohio? Matt, oh, I should know that, shouldn't I? That's I'm terrible for not knowing it. I actually can't. Sure I can't. Ohio. I can't pull up the internet because my three year old MacBook uh, apparently grinds to a halt and destroys the podcast. And you know, if I run a browser while I am uh, using my using my uh, FireWire yes. audio I'll, interface, I'll ask the question for you: William McKinley High School in Lima, Ohio. Lima, oh, yeah. you, Ohio. You, you beat me to Wikipedia, so there you go. Oh, Mio, Ohio, Lima, Ohio. Which I so can't so LeBron James is going to be on Glee. What song does he sing? <laughs> uh, Pete, we've already done the question of the week, so. Uh, oh God! All right, never mind then. I uh, mo, mo money, mo problems. I suppose. Well, uh, welcome to Miami. Yeah, uh, Miami. Uh, in, interesting. Interestingly enough, I uh, one one side note here. Maybe this will inspire some comp, but I do have a, a jumping off point afterward. I read an interview uh, in the latest Rolling Stone magazine with Jay-Z who is a part owner of the uh, the New York Nets, or New Jersey Nets Jersey technically. Nets. New soon Jersey to, Nets, soon to be Brooklyn Nets, but that's another topic for another day. Yeah. The, the part owner of the New Jersey Nets, and who is also a personal friend of LeBron James, being, you know, superstars in their respective fields as they are. And he mentioned that he had not he had explicitly not lobbied for LeBron to come to New Jersey simply because, and I'm paraphrasing here, the man's a friend of mine, and you can't you can't hang out with somebody and still be cool with them when you're four and twenty four. Four and twenty four being like, like being like their win loss record at oh. a point in the season. <laughs> Ooh, glad Jay Z's got that uh, got that level of confidence. Hey, how about Jay Z on Glee? When is that going to happen? You know, I, I think it's almost I think it's almost bound to. Glee has become enough of a cultural icon that even if even if it doesn't really touch on on his on his empire, the spheres sort of have to intersect at some point. So I think that Jay Z as perhaps the most conscious player of power in hip hop, if not all of entertainment, needs to do needs to acknowledge it in some way. So as we, I mean, as we discuss uh, on uh, these effing teenagers, the podcast that uh, Ryan Cheely and I do, and also Jordan Stokes now, uh, where we are taking a, a break while Glee and Gossip Girl are, are on hiatus to cover the UK television series Skins. Um, you can find that on the homepage of Overthinking It. Uh, the show that's really about power, about being a, a a wielder and consolidator of power, is Gossip Girl. So I wonder if I wonder if Jay Z really would be a more appropriate guest star on uh, on Gossip Girl with um, you know Blair and Serena uh, doing their doing their New York thing. Mm. Has so Beyonce appeared on Glee? No. That seems more likely. That seems one way that Jay Z could send his influence into that area. No, Lady Gaga has appeared on uh, has appeared on Gossip Girl though. You know, um, you know what they haven't done. I mean, the people who have appeared on Glee, like Josh Groban and Olivia Newton-John, have appeared on Glee. So I think they're. It seems like they have kind of a sense of humor, and they're looking to do something other than uh, other than use people who are actually totally current hot stars. You know, um, they'll use their music, like the Lady Gaga episode, but not. Them, the people themselves, not the people themselves. Yeah, it's um, or the Madonna episode, right? It's um, yeah. I, th- I mean, a lot of these guests, it seems to me, are chosen for ironic effect. 
Uh, they you got. You're saying that there's what? There's not. There's not enough ironic, ironic things about Jay Z. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're probably that probably is true. Um, uh. We uh, uh, we haven't mentioned the Emmy nominations. I mean, what nineteen thousand for Glee and uh, none for Community. Um, community, which will which will end its its uh, you know short life next year because um, CBS programmed Big Bang Theory, uh, which is I think the most popular scripted show in the country right now, uh, programmed that against Community, moved it to Thursday night. Like specifically, it's like sending the Death Star after Alderaan, right? Like it's uh... fear will keep them in mind. Fear of this sitcom. <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, change time slots in a moment of triumph, <laughs> which which is dis- which is disappointing to me because I'm, I mean, Modern Family, which which garnered a lot of Emmy nominations, is also very funny, and I'm I'm glad it's having success. But Community, I think, has a much fresher tone to it. It's it's much more it's much more reminiscent of the sort of absurdist, rapid-fire, uh, lightning-quick pacing that we've been seeing with 30 Rock and Arrested Development. And I want to see that sort of thing rewarded more with, with Emmy nominations. And to see it completely blown over is is disappointing. Yeah. I mean, Arrested Development, it, in my view, Arrested Development is the is the pinnacle of this. Like no one does it like arrested development. I think there are more jokes per second in arrested development, most of which are totally thrown away or which are like in some corner in the background or in some corner of the frame. And like on your fourth viewing, when you're not concerned about, uh, following the plot anymore, you pick up, you pick up these other, these other jokes. I mean, arrested development, my, uh, my, my college teacher, Harold Bloom said that the highest compliment that he could give a a work of literature was that it was inexhaustible to meditation. Uh, and he, he, uh, sort of, uh, his favorites, he, he claimed were sort of inexhaustible to meditation. That is to say, you couldn't, you couldn't read them enough. You couldn't think about them enough. He put, he put, uh, Hamlet in this, um, uh, in this August company, as well as like Don Quixote and a few other works, and I would say that Arrested Development is is like those great works, like Hamlet, uh, inexhaustible to meditation. And uh, also Terminator Two. Let's be, let's be <laughs> no, <laughs> no fate, but what we make. Um, but community. I feel like I feel like you got to take the Jim Varney approach to life and make one joke at a time, as hard as you possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> that is well, yeah. I mean. You know, I don't know. Like community, I I really like that show. I you know I like the the smart ass tone of it. I like the pace of it. Like John was saying, uh, you know, I like the the pop culture references. I like the kind of self referentiality of it. You know what I mean? Where it's kind of like everyone. Uh, <laughs> but you see, Matt, not everyone does. I mean, I'm I'm somewhat stating the obvious. Yeah, that's maybe that's show, that's why yeah, the rest of the development got canceled. That's why Thirty Rocks. Ratings are not particularly great, even though he's constantly, you know, it gets, uh, you know, an Emmy every time, uh, every time I take a piss, you know? Yeah. Well, 30 Rock is, um, well, you know, so did, so did Arrested Development back in the day. You know what I mean? Like it won. Right, you, know, right. you know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Vern. Vern. Arrested Development is a great show. You know what I mean? Hey, Vern. <laughs> hey Vern, it's me, two friends. I'm over here, Vern. Are you? Are you? Are you there, Vern? It's me, Ernest. 
Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that, like, the paintball episode of, uh, of Community certainly deserves a writing, you know, certainly deserves a writing nomination. That's as good as some of the stuff that's been on, uh, on 30 Rock. Well, yeah, I guess I, if it's as good as some of the stuff that's been on a different show, I suppose it's the best. <laughs> Wait, if, that, if that show was Thirty Rock, yeah. Well, I, I mean, oh, which I, is the unsurpassed and unsurpassable uh, work of comedy <laughs> television, if, to, to borrow a phrase from rather. It really Has that happened. Is that like what has been going on in the world while I've been ha- like while my Dish Network has been canceled? Like the Thirty Rock has taken over the universe. It's uh, taken over my universe. I think it's just speaking for myself. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. 30 Rock? Yeah, yeah. I hear that John Stewart is sexist and all sorts of craziness going on on TV. <laughs> okay, start jo- watching that stuff again. John Stewart is sexist. Well, that's a tempest in a teapot. Maybe we don't have to, uh, to yeah. take that up. Uh, okay, what's next on the overthinking it agenda? Uh, Viva España! <laughs> yes. That's a solid segue right there, Matt. That's a great segue. You just gliding smooth like a Mach 3 razor. <laughs> Sorry. I thought that would sound better if, if, I, if we had some Vufazella sound effects going on the entire podcast. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, I, I watched it. Did everyone watch the, uh, the final? Oh, yes. I, I'd struggled to stay awake for, for most of it until the end, to be honest, because it was uh, the torpid at best until the very exciting end. I know I was tearing my carpet out. <laughs> I didn't get to watch. Yeah, and I was I was uh, I was out of the house, so no, I didn't see that. But so was uh, it I, good? I have... Did you guys enjoy watching the soccer game? Huh? Huh? Well, I yeah, I mean it's it's good, but as as Mark said in our in our uh, pre-show prep, you know, America can go back to not caring about soccer after this. I mean, I imagine a, a lot of America went back to not caring about soccer when the U.S. was knocked out uh, in the. Um, what the quarterfinals, right? Or no, not the quarterfinals. The round of sixteen, whatever it's called. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, the eighth. Well, you finals? know what's, what's interesting. What I, what I noticed about um, about America and the World Cup this year, and I think this has t- ties in actually with the, the the economics of movies and how sort of the box office has not been doing well. And one of the reasons why the, they they've been saying that is because specifically because of the World Cup. And what this this was a good reminder of something we kind of forget about. When we talk about pop culture and all the different sorts of entertainments that we bring into our lives, is that um, it, it, not in, it is not entirely a zero sum game, but in a lot of ways it is a zero sum game. Like there are, you know, there's a finite population, there's a finite amount of media that humans can consume. I mean, we've probably been increasing that amount via, you know, the amount of time we spend, you know, uh, you know, with our computers. But a well, lot still, of that time it's spent on the computers is at the expense of time spent watching television as well. So uh, you there's know, there's a that finite is, amount of time in the day too. And there's a, yeah, and there's, uh, a finite, there's a finite. I'm looking at my time machine working, but that's a story for another podcast. There's a finite. There's only so many seasons of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, which is a darn shame because if there were more, um, everybody would watch. More. You know, what, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to read a, just a deep album cut off of overthinking it, Google uh, the ideal, uh, the uh, the idea of order. And Gene, Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, the idea of order, Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and read an excellent, excellent early post by uh, by Pete Fenzel. That post is freaking weird, man. <laughs> that's a very strange post. That is that post is a is a sort of parody, sort of tribute to a poem by Wallace Stevens, right? 
but it's like trying to address the notion of like identity changes and season changes in Andromeda and how it corresponds to like ideas of mutability in Wallace Stevens. But but that's um, Keith, that is I mean that is exactly that's the overthinking it thing, which is to to uh, kind of overlay on a work of, of popular culture, either a work of high culture or else just uh, uh, you know another rubric that that has nothing to do with um, with the original, right? Yeah, I mean, did any of you guys, had you guys have any posts that are just freaking out there from your history of writing for the site where you sort of like, wow, I actually did that. That's crazy. Yeah, one of, one of, the, one of the last guest posts I had before I was brought on as a full-time writer was a post that created a sort of overarching meta plot between two obscure Mike and the Mechanics music videos from the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> that that turned them into some weird theory about a time traveler who was sent back to prevent the re-election of Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> like, so, so that I, sounds I, awesome. I, need to I, go back watched, and Google that. I watched these two music videos enough that I was convinced there was a story between them and that that was the story. And I, I still, I 90% stand by that. So yeah, I'll, I'll post I'll post the link in the in the show notes if anyone wants to see my <laughs> my early efforts at overthinking. Some of my early guest posts were also pretty solid, but that one that one is the most out there I think of anything I've done. Yeah, you know I'm looking through the stuff that I've written over, over the years, and um, my stuff is is hasn't quite gotten to that level of I don't know avant garde that you guys uh, have have attained. Uh, maybe it's just because my mind is not quite operating on such a level. Um, maybe well, I'm just writing about Justin Bieber. <laughs> you have more shirts. That's, that's about, that's about as, as out there as I'll get is, is Justin Bieber. And mm. frankly, that's not that out there because OMG, oh, Justin Bieber, heart, 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 heart. Oh, did you guys hear about the 4chan people and Justin Bieber? Have you heard about that? No. Did, did, go on. <laughs> so I heard this, I Breaking news. Overthinking it exclusive. <laughs> so my roommate was telling this story that Justin Bieber had an online contest where you could vote for where he was going to take his world tour, right? Oh. And for a long time, <laughs> so for a long time, um, Israel was winning because they, you know, people from Israel were voting in this poll, and, and people really wanted Justin Bieber to go to Israel. Um, but then 4chan got a whiff of this poll, and of course, now there, we, maybe we need to do some work profiling these guys at some point because um, if you haven't heard of 4chan, uh, they are one of the most powerful forces on the internet. They are a large, amorphous gathering of you know, nerds and, and misanthropes and uh, mischief makers and hackers and various sort of, just, and also just regular people who are, like to jerk around on computers, uh, who, who've congregated around this like anime-themed message board and have launched most of the major disruptions that have taken place in like popular cultural internet over the course of the last like 10 years. Yeah, I, like, I they fix the... What? I describe them as sort of the primordial ooze of the internet because, <laughs> like, most of the memes we recognize that, that Pete, you're about to list, uh, come from 4chan. So, Pete, go on. <laughs> well, what I was going to say also is, is they fixed the Time Magazine uh, Man of the Year vote last year so that it was an acrostic where, like, their founder won yeah, and yeah, then all of the other right. people in order. Yeah. Right. We're, we're like people, people that, that, that didn't. Oh, so by the way, 4chan has decided that they know where. Uh, where Justin Bieber is going to take his concert tour, um, and are you guys? You guys? Can you guess what country he's going to head out to? Uh, uh, Afghanistan, Croatia. Afghanistan? Uh, worse? No, worse. Worse, uh, worse in Afghanistan. What? No, 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 North Korea. North Korea is 
OMG. They don't know how he's going to get across the border, but apparently he's got to go to North Korea. I don't think he's probably going to. Uh, okay, everybody, everybody, everybody need, we need to practice learn how to say it. I love Justin Bieber in Korean. Repeat after me. <laughs> Justin Bieber, 사랑합니다. Justin Bieber, 사랑합니다. How do you say Bieber fever in, uh, in Korean? Bieber dol. It doesn't rhyme, unfortunately. Guys, oh. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, that, that first chant kind of rhymes. That's got a rhythm to it. <laughs> Is it? I mean, much like, much like the, the dulcet tones of Justin Bieber. Will, uh, and will youthful R&B. Will, will Rain be opening for Justin Bieber? In North Korea? Oh, my God. That would be awesome. Rain opening. <laughs> The, the Korean pop star turned ninja assassin actor uh, who, who is a, who's a pop, international pop culture force. If he and Justin Bieber were to perform in North Korea, uh, I, think, I think they would, they would single, single-handedly reunite the peninsula. <laughs> Repa- now, they can also say with, lost they can say with confidence. They would also repatriate the remaining re- lost remains of American soldiers who still reside in North Korean soil. It would just, you know, somehow like come across the border and, and be transplanted into Arlington just by the sheer force of their pop pop goodness. All all would be all would be one. Hey, speaking of ninjas, does anyone ever write CSS? Uh, the style sheet format. Yeah, exactly. Cascading style sheets. I saw a great geek T-shirt the other day that that was uh, defining a class called ninja. So it said dot ninja curly brace um, color black visibility hidden and uh, curly brace. Oh, <laughs> that, that, that is the funniest thing I've seen in a while. I I know oh, I'm a nerd. Oh. Hey, let's talk about let's talk about 4chan because in a way 4chan is the anti overthinking it right. Um, because our, our commenters, and I say this not to blow smoke, uh, but, it, uh, because I'm as surprised by this as anyone, but our commenters are, uh, very smart, are courteous to one another, are, uh, thoughtful and are good writers, um, you know, and that we, we've, we've by and large so far, maybe it's cause we're just not that big. Uh, maybe it's because we are like, uh, a, like low to medium internet site but uh you know we've avoided a lot of the traps of of youtube or you know other other sites with with pop culture things and comments where it's like gay you know or uh um i don't know just sort of lol first i don't know if uh, whoever (laughs) we should send an overthinking a t-shirt to whoever on the show notes puts the first comment and like goes first you know maybe one of the yahoo serious ones well, you're going to reward that kind of behavior? <laughs> <laughs> just on this, just on this, just on this show. Um, you know, I, right? It's not, I, so, at some point early in the site, I, I did delete a few comments that were just abuse or just like sort of borderline hate speech because, look, it's our house and, and you don't get to do that in our house. But I, I have almost never uh, had to do that. And uh, it's amazing. But but, so 4chan, but 4chan is this, you know, uh, abuse, homophobia, (laughs) racial insensitivity. It's this uh, it's this cesspool in a way. And yet they they managed to pull off some incredible collective actions uh, that are that are like gaming the uh, time man of the year uh, uh, poll online poll or this Justin Bieber thing. Yeah. Matthew, when. When I when I describe 4chan as the primordial ooze of the internet, I, I I don't 
I don't mean that, you know, that, that's not an offhand remark. I mean, some of the things 4chan is responsible are include, but not limited to, uh, lolcats, rickrolling, uh, Taze on Day's success with the song Chocolate Rain, uh, that, that bear cartoon that looks, uh, that, that's called, well, yeah, never mind. I'll, I'll skip that. Uh, <laughs> hacking, Sarah, Sarah Palin, hacking Sarah Palin's email address. Uh, you know, hacking the hacking the time. You know, vote vote for man of the year. Apparently, saying Justin Bieber North Korea. I mean, m- major major memes which have taken off and really dominated the internet, all originating from there. And I think, you know, it's it's an evolutionary process. There are thousands upon thousands of threads in 4chan, constantly bubbling and seething with not with nonsense i mean with with almost literal nonsense that would be impenetrable to an outsider and every now and then something rises to the surface gains sentience and develops wings and light sensitive <laughs> membranes and 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 floats off and you know creates its own colony in some some tropical temperate climate do you i mean do you guys read i i from time to time but it's like every 2 months or so we'll go on 4chan and read b the random board but uh, do you guys read it regularly <laughs> No, I have a job. And I don't want to lose it, which is why I don't want to get in there. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah. No, tell people about it. Tell people about it. Well, it's um, you know, it's the random board. It's the anything goes board, and by anything goes, they mean anything goes. It's you know, it, uh, there's a lot of pornography. Some of it uh, questionably, questionably legal. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, like gory pictures of uh, I don't know of you know the of uh, the victims of various <laughs> traumatic accidents um there's a lot of there's a lot of like calling each other there's a lot of sort of uh, insensitivity to to sexual orientation <laughs> there's a lot of uh insensitivity to uh you know to various cognitive deficit to, to people with with the mental impairments and various cognitive deficits it's you know it's it's uh it's the worst of the worst, and yes, it's and yet it's kind of glorious, you know. It's in in a way because it's, um, you know, you know what it is. It's it's the ultimate example of what and oh, and there's no archive, right? Like once the threads cycle off of there, they're gone, 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 gone. Um, you know, so uh, it, like it's the ultimate thing. In it's the best and the worst of what can happen uh, with anonymity on the internet. You know, and it's funny that a, that a kind of mob ruler, a kind of mob justice has has emerged from there where they kind of won't let people get away from things, get away with things. And if you, you know, if you sort of run afoul of their, you know, of their weird community norms, um, you, you can get punished for it in a way like uh, uh, Ryan Sheely's work as a political scientist is is largely about how forms of order can emerge endogenously, as it were, from uh um, uh, from the grassroots, uh, rather than being imposed by a, uh, by a sort of a, a coercive force set above, uh, set above the people like a state, a coercive third party, like a state to enforce order between, uh, in our interactions with one another. And I, th- I think 4chan would be an interesting thing for him to, uh, to study. I, I, I'll actually make a note to tell him about it the next time we do the, these effing teenagers podcast. I mean, more seriously too, I think 4chan as the, the place where anonymous comes from, right? At least originally. Yeah, the science, the, the anti-Scientology like group. The nationwide. Yeah, and that, that's because the the Scientologists tried to get people to remove a video that was circulating primarily through 4chan, right? Like a sort of sealed, supposedly secret uh, Scientology video with Tom Cruise in it. Wasn't that one of the places where it was circulating? 
Probably, well, well, al- almost yeah. certainly, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I think fortune is really interesting because I think that you know we talk a lot. I talk a lot about, and I think we we've sort of all talked a lot about hegemonic discourse, and I think that that we in hegemonic discourse, which we exist and that we we communicate, fortune kind of can't exist. Right, like, like there's a huge gap in our perception of reality because we say things like, "Oh, like they talk about people with questionable mental handicaps and, and everything like that." You know, like, like this is something that we are offended by to the extent that we have to tiptoe around saying what they call each other. I mean, people who go to the B message board are called B-tards, right? Like that's sort of like the derogatory term for people who use that group. So I mean, like they are all that stuff about the sort of re- refinement of your discourse and. The advancement of political correctness, it's all not part of what's going on over there. Um, and it's, it's almost like a separately evolved uh, way of communicating. And it's very strong on the Internet. It's very robust. And, I mean, this is why, um, and I, again, I guess I have to be careful because this involves kind of employment stuff, but you companies try to go out on the Internet and think that all they have to do is hook their machine up to the wall and they'll be able to create some sort of vibrant um, community. But they don't understand that, like, there's a lot of harshness out there that they are not prepared to handle. Like, the kind of discourse that takes place on 4chan, were it to sort of intersect with, uh, for example, like the people at a corporation, like, it would devastate them. Like, they would not be able to handle it. They'd have to block it. They can't deal with it. Um, You know, you have to eliminate those comments. Right? Um, You can't even talk to these people. And and some of those influential people on the Internet... If they create every meme, how are you going to get successful on the Internet if you can't deal with them, right? And that's the sort of one of the big questions that I think that businesses on the Internet and other institutions on the Internet have to deal with. Like, how do you deal with 4chan? Because um, if you can deal with 4chan, that's, then you're, you got my attention, you know? Well, if they, yeah, I mean, if they, uh, what did Time Magazine do? I forget. Did they actually award the guy the, uh, the, the Man of the Year award? Oh, I don't. I think that he won. I think that they've since divided the award they give out of the magazine from the polls that they do online because the polls have been gamed every year since 2000. Um, to, this one guy in my math class in high school gamed that poll once back to the Man of the Millennium thing on behalf of two Ayn Rand fans in my math class. He did only did it for a couple of days, but like that poll has always been a target for hackers and, and people who are messing around with stuff. So, hacker is probably a bad term, but whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, it's who knows what that means anymore. I mean, that that term had a lot. Yeah, I don't know that that you see that's that's funny because that's a we're talking about hegemonic discourse. That's a that's a term that's um that's kind of instrumentally deployed by people uh, to various ends that that are really sort of extra technological, right? That are that are um, I mean, hackers are people who are who are sort of intimate with technology, right? Or who are who are um, uh, what uh, very savvy about technology and and about um, about using it, you know, in ways that in ways that serve them, even if they don't serve the uh, oh, uh, you know, I don't know, even if they don't serve the dominant uh, the dominant forces in in technology and and uh, saying that that's, I mean, whether it's, I mean, you know, are you a freedom fighter or are you a terrorist? I mean, this is a this is a not a moot question when you. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Huh? See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> not, when um, you know when you're when you're talking about about hacking. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. Let's <laughs> take us in a slightly different direction here. Are we okay. perhaps overstating the importance of 4chan, or maybe not so much 4chan, but the internet memes that they create? 
Uh, I mentioned this way back when, when I, uh, hey, this is actually my one kind of out there piece that I did was I created an entire backstory for the lol cat. The, the I can has cheeseburger lol cat. I'd researched it and found out that it had won a certain prize at a, at a kennel competition in England, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but in the course of, of that, I kind of pose the question, how many people out there really know about, no, that's actually in the context of Rick rolling, but you know, somewhere also came from fortune. How many people out there are actually familiar with the concept of Rick rolling? Or lolcats. I mean, it polls both of those in my office, and it's definitely not a majority. And the people in my office are in the exact age demographic, you know, the 20s, you know, well-educated, savvy, pop culture savvy people who should know about these things. And a, a surprising number of them did not know about it. Hmm. I remember I mean, for the Rickrolling thing, it had strangely crossed over into the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And I think that just caused more head-scratching than anything else. Okay. Well, I mean, most of the, I, I guess most of my coworkers who are also in the, the 20s to 30s demographic would, I mean, if not recognize a, a lol cat as being a, you know, an offshoot of this particular meme could at least process it. Like, oh, it's a cat with a weird caption in a broken English. It's entertaining, even if I can't ta- tag it into a an overarching cultural icon mm-hmm. or I, I, I guess Rick Rowling you sort of have to be familiar, familiar with, or yeah, I'm, you might be, you might be right about its, its impact on broader popular culture as a whole. And I think it's, I think it's the, this sort of thing that a, a very internet savvy generation like ours can forget. I mean, for instance, to take it in a slightly different direction, I have often described uh, Penny Arcade, the the video gaming web comic, as the most popular web comic that my parents have never read. So, you know, as as a for instance of the of the immense cachet they have, you know, overthinking it sent a few people to uh, the Penny Arcade convention when it came to Boston, and you know, a hundred thousand people showed up. It packed out the Heinz Convention Center. It was huge. It brought people from all over the world, and still, most of the people I would meet in a given day have no idea what Penny Arcade is. Right, yeah. so I, mean, I guess it's just a convenient reminder of the reality of niche subcultures that we have, and well, I mean, I'll, can I add a layer to that just quickly? Um, because uh, maybe I don't know if you guys have read your, the Malcolm Gladwell book, The Tipping Point, right? Which is sort of one of the uh, sort of canonical books of cocktail party pseudo intellectualism. Yeah, as a quick aside, um, I think we can all claim to have read The Tipping Point, whether or not we have actually read it, just because people have talked about it so damn much. But yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, like, so the, the, one of the concepts he lays out in the tipping point is that, you know, the energy behind social trends, economic trends, business trends follows several phases. And, and there are people in the, in the, you know, in the population who are responsible for the different phases of it. You have, I think he calls them, what, mavens who like generate the new ideas and the new trends. And you have the communicators who kind of disperse them and make things happen, right? And the people who sort of obsessively keep track of things and stuff. And, and I think... One of the big points of that book is that by the time something actually happens that registers on everybody's radar, there's been a great deal of work behind the scenes uh, by, by a lot of people who are really generating what's going to happen far in advance and often for very little money. Um, you know, like, like in his book, he talks about like kids in the East Village wearing hush puppy shoes and the hush puppy shoes catch on and, and then it becomes a big business thing. And I've certainly heard of hush puppies, but I've never met those kids and I certainly would have known about what their culture was like. So um, I think that when you, 
when you're looking at the dynamism of the Internet, and I, don't, I really think that, that the social networking thing that people are getting into, we're starting to see kind of a more mainstream, acceptable relationship between Internet discourse and, and regular folks. I think most people in Mark's office, and I'll extend to Mark's office in sort of a grander sense, are kind of clueless about the Internet, and they're kind of clueless about the different parts of the culture it touches. They're not going to influence anything. Like, they're not going to change the way anybody thinks about anything on the Internet. They're not really going to be imported to the way the discourse is shaped. I mean, they're important in general because they're part of humanity. You know, no man is an island if a clod is washed away, you know, Europe is the last, you know, as if a mansion of, of yours or your friends were. Like, they're great people, and I don't want to diminish their dignity, but, like, I don't particularly care what they think about culture in the sense that, like, it's not going to really change a lot of people's minds. Like, there's no leverage to what they're thinking. And so even if you're not necessarily familiar with Lowcats or, or Rick Rowling, like, specifically, although there's a lot of people who are, um, I do think that the, the sort of Forchanic discourse does affect us in the way that we live our lives. And, I mean, I think that if you, if you, look, at, if you look at, like, say, YouTube comments or, um, or even a lot of political comments, like if you read the comment threads and newspaper articles, I think that, that what you see there is a lot of the cultural influence of that paradigm of Internet thinking, right, and that, that way of acting, which I don't think originated with 4chan, but 4chan is sort of its driving force in the world today, like the sort of the flaming, and I mean, that goes all the way back to Usenet. But, I mean, I think that the people who are really figuring out how that works are, are the people in and around the sort of greater 4chan complex. And I think that they have a far-reaching influence of people who have never heard of them before. But also these people are going to be – these are the people who are going to be swept away by the wave that comes after. And, and we're, we're hoping to be a little bit more savvy about, like, how things are being formulated. I mean, is that – that's not usually the kind of – that's not usually the direction I take on these things. to say, like, well, let's disregard these people's opinions because they're irrelevant. But I feel like the, the only sense in which 4chan is really relevant is their ability to actually start things going uh, and their ability to sort of frame new ways of thinking. Um, I mean, the whole thing with Scientology was huge. I mean, there were people on the streets in masks in, like, cities all over the country and the world. Like, yeah, and, and those Guy Fox I, masks. Yeah, exactly. The Guy Fox masks, are, you know, those are ubiquitous. Uh, and, that, and, and people see those every once in a while. They might not know what they are. They might not remember them. So I don't know. I mean, I just see, I just, where you see folks like us in the in the in the context of this fortanic discourse, which, by the way, is a brilliant coining of a phrase. We um, fortanic fortanic discourse. We um, you know, what we are we're like John John the Baptist. We're a voice crying out in the wilderness. I speak of the <laughs> I speak of the message board that is to come after me. Uh, the message board whose whose merest mimetic generation I am not worthy to contemplate. No, sorry, Pete, you can answer the question for real if you want. Well, I mean, I'll answer the question in that um, we're, 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 kind of, we're kind of old school, we're kind of new school. We combine a lot of the different influences on the Internet. One of the more important things about our site is that we know each other. Like, the people who actually work on it tend to know each other in real life or, or through reputation, at least. But, like, we tend to be, there's a lot of friendship there. And I think our community is sort of built on that feeling as well, where, yeah, people come from all over the world and they read Overthinking It and they, they listen to our podcast, and we're grateful to have them here. But I think some of the collegiality that we have uh, washes over and that people talk to each other in that way, and that's how we frame our discourse. Um, I think we're influenced by Forchanic discourse in a number of ways. I mean, I think it was cited in last week's podcast. I tend to do it more than most, like bringing up memes and stuff as sort of part of the vortex 
Yeah, uh, it was it was it was pointed out in the comment thread on last week's show notes about how you are you are inclined to drop references to to internet memes and th- you know and things like this. Yeah, yeah, and you are, I mean, you maybe, are often yeah. the one who introduces the rest of the OTI crew to said meme, such as I don't know if it was you or Belinky who introduced the Hitler meme, for example, or power levels over nine thousand. I have since appropriated that from you. I, I brought it up in your absence. Well, that but wasn't. I, I mean, that was actually just that was just something that Pete said, right? There, there are a number of things actually that within the small community of the overthinking it listenership and readership uh, that have become memes. One is power level is over nine thousand, which we saw. No, we didn't. So that we that not become a meme because of us. That became a meme ten years before our site started. Like that's uh, not ten years. It's five years. What, we are not responsible. Oh wait, that was something that oh that was something that people people talked about on on the internet. I thought it was just a line in Dragon Ball that you happened to to no pull out no of your no. Ass. It's a line in Dragon Ball Z that has been like very much talked about on the internet. Oh uh, well, never never so, mind. Um, I mean, I talk about it all the time with pleasure, but I'm certainly not the only one. But okay, so that's uh, I mean, that's videos. You can watch the videos. <laughs> Uh, that's a bad. That's a bad example. But um, you know, you know, what's one that's a good example is ghost ship moment. Uh, you know what I mean? That within the within the kind of the limited context of the overthinking it readership, uh, everyone you know who reads overthinking it uh, religiously. I mean, every one of the kind of inner circle of readers knows what the ghost ship moment is, right? And oh, well, uh, quick aside, quick aside on the, on the ghost ship moment. I don't know if you guys saw that I tweeted this, but I discovered uh, perhaps the movie with the highest ghost ship quotient. In that the ghost ship, in the or the or, or if you will, GQ, <laughs> the GQ, um, the the animated movie Anastasia uh, about the the uh, you know the, the the sort of Disney esque you know song and dance animated musical um, in which uh, the, the full realization that uh, the character is Anastasia and everybody finds out about it, uh, it doesn't occur until three quarters of the way into the movie. And by the timing that Belinky post in the original Ghost Ship Moment post is further along in the movie proportionally than the Ghost Ship Moment in the Ghost Ship itself. I mean, I think I mentioned before, one of my favorite really, really late Ghost Ship Moments is in The Last of the Mohicans, for obvious reasons. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are other Mohicans. <laughs> and then there are the last of the Mohicans. <laughs> but, um... I guess they sort of do telegraph that a little bit. So, Sorry, I took us on a, on a little bit of a disc- uh, No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. And I mean, I think that this way of thinking and coming up with new words and, and new phrases and spreading them around, I mean, that's, you know, that's part of this whole cultural project and the way that we feel free to make new terminology based on, like, referential humor. And that's not just come from one group of people. I mean, that's kind of an evolution that's been going for a long time, and I think it's probably something people have been doing for a while. What, um, I mean, we have our own, but I mean, we're not really a meme factory. I mean, we, we do our best sometimes, but no, not at all. I don't we're, think we we're, put out that kind of volume. We're, yeah, exactly, and we're, we're commentators, you know what I mean? We're not, we are yeah. not, we're not generative in a way. We are, we are sort of a second-order uh, kind of website, yeah. and that's, and yeah, that's I, what... I think, I think our contribution is more along the lines of the difference between evolution and intelligent design, if you will, in that, in that a site like 4chan, you know, having thousands of threads going on, most of which are nonsense, is more likely to produce a volume of content just through the, the chaos of natural selection and the, the tendency of order to arise from uh, conflicting hierarchies. Whereas we, you know, sit down and try and create order deliberately, and as a result, ours is a much slower and more more disjointed process. 
Yeah, I do well, think, like, a lot of blogs, we do bridge the gap a little bit between establishment blogs and the sort of wild west of the Internet. And I think one of the great examples of that is when Slate picked up our talking about the cat boobs in Avatar. Like, I'm not the only person <laughs> talking about cat boobs on the Internet. Like, but most of them aren't going to get referenced on Slate because they don't, they don't put it in a nice little article. <laughs> you know, like, right. so, so we try to bridge that gap. We do, yeah, we, we try. Um, Bridget, yeah, bridging like LeBron the trying to get across the key and make a slam dunking thing that he does with the basketball. I like to say that <laughs> that that overthinking it is the uh, the foremost blog of uh, of cocktail party pseudo intellectualism. That's not true. That's a lawn. <laughs> oh, I was I was going to say five thirty eight. Oh, Huffington Post. Yeah. What? What? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, yeah. was going to say Huff, I was going to say five thirty eight, but okay. Five thirty-eight, nice. Owned by the New York Times now, right? Well, yeah, yes. I guess. It's over by the Times or hired by the Times. Yeah, hired by the yeah, Times, and the and time. like his deal is that he's going to do posts under the heading five thirty-eight on the Times website, but and not run the five thirty-eight blog anymore. Though they didn't buy the blog. That is to say, I don't think they bought the back catalog. Oh. Or maybe maybe they did buy the back catalog. Back catalog. I don't here's know. An, here's an interesting thing to look at in terms of the inter- intersection between. Uh, institutional, uh, business-driven internet discourse and fortunic discourse. My my my, my point is my read- point is New York Times. I I'm willing to sell. <laughs> well, I'm saying read the New York Times and look at which articles they let you comment on and which ones they don't let you comment on. Because I think the ones where they don't let you comment on it are the ones where they really can't allow. For anything resembling Fortchank discourse to intersect with that article for some sort of internal political reason or for some because they have to make decisions as to what runs with comments and what doesn't. And a lot of the articles about like either controversial issues or or particular like and something when they're framed a certain way, it's really interesting. Like take a look at it the next time you read well, the newspaper. There's, there's a couple of things that, that to touch on this issue of the comments in, on the New York Times website. First and perhaps most importantly, comments in the New York Times are actually moderated, right? So they can't yeah, actually they spiral out of control. The other thing is that the distinction between what you can and can't comment on, I think it's less, I think you can almost comment on almost everything. It's just there's some articles where they're framed as blog posts and they are, the comments are actually part of the same screen. And other things like a David Brooks editorial where you have to click away to another page and that's only solely dedicated to comments and the article text is not present there at all. Our comments I mean, are moderate. Yeah. There are some articles where they don't let you comment at all, but. I'd have to have it in front of me, and of course my computer is drying out, so I can't look at it right now. <laughs> well, Pete, we'll give you another week to let your uh, to let your computer dry out. So, uh, listeners, what do you think? Do you want to uh, do you want to participate in the Forchanic discourse on this episode? If so, you can email us at podcast at overthinkingit dot com or call the voicemail. You can also text the voicemail. We've discovered um, you you can also text the voicemail at. Uh, uh, 203-285-6401. Don't forget to log on to the site and contribute to the Pete Fenzel Natural Disaster Relief Fund. I promise that every dollar that you, you don't sp- have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Pete is, I, I imagine he, he was quiet a lot at the beginning of the show. I think he was pissed off that I, that I created a, uh, that I created a cause. But it's my internet meme. It's my, you know what? It's my right as a, you know, as a generator of of internet memes. Uh, the the Pete Fenzel Natural Disaster Relief Fund. No, um, no. You know, you, you know what would make this fun take off if there was an adorable cat associated with it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fenzel Fair cat. Enough. Yeah, Fenzel we'll cat. Just just make sure that the cat does not have boobs. You know where you will find. <laughs> <laughs> you know where you will find a, an almost total dearth of cat boobs. Why it's on our website <laughs> www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably doesn't deserve. First. LOL Wait, wait, what is Lee doing? Singing Justin Bieber. Oh, okay. He's trying to get a girlfriend, man. He's trying to get a girlfriend with dulcet tones. Yeah. Also um, that. Trying to get a girlfriend. Epic fail. <laughs> <laughs>